at the church where I pastored in Gainesville, we had a small group called Agnostics Anonymous. The name was a joke. Well, the anonymous part was. They were very much agnostics or atheists, but everybody knew. They were very public about their beliefs and often reminded us ministers if things felt like they were getting like a little too religious around church. It had been that way since forever, way before I got there, and it seemed to work for everyone. So I was surprised when the group sent an email to our pastoral team saying that they had some concerns and they'd like to sit down and talk about them. And they wanted to make sure I was there. I was surprised by the email and, and a little bit afraid and maybe a little upset. I started to argue with it in my head. What could they possibly want and, and why me? I was still pretty new to the congregation. I was fresh from seminary and yes, I knew I had a bit of a reputation for liking God and even Jesus, a reputation for being kind of religious. I started to make assumptions about what their concerns might be. I started planning my responses and then I started guessing what their responses to those would be and came up with my rejoinders. I started digging in preparing to defend my position, staked out my territory, and I readied myself to draw a line in the sand. This was a church and I was a minister and certain things were non-negotiable, essential. I would not be moved. The night before the meeting, I barely slept. And when it came time the next day, I had to force myself out of my office and down the long hall to where we were meeting. My heart was pounding. The hand that held the notebook where all my positions were written down, shaking uncontrollably. I sat down across the table from them to stand my ground, ready to give it to them. But before I could launch in, one of my colleagues started with an open question about how they were feeling why they had asked for this meeting. And rather than beginning with arguments or, or talking points, they started by telling us they were afraid. They were worried about whether there was still room for them in this community that meant so much. They wanted to be acknowledged. They wanted to know that they were welcome to hear that they belonged just like everyone else. And gradually, as they shared, I stopped digging in. At some point, I quit rehearsing the points in my head and mentally crossed out most of what was on my notebook. I let go of the baggage I had brought into that meeting and just listened. And when it came my turn to speak, I tried to be as open as they had been to share my own fear my own desire for belonging in this place where they had been for decades and I was brand new. And they said, that's why they had wanted me there because they wanted to get to know me. They were curious about me. They wanted to hear what I had to say. And instead of sitting on each side of the table, refusing to be moved, we, we did move. We crossed a divide that an hour before had seemed insurmountable to me. 
we moved toward one another, toward a deeper understanding. And though this is not how they would have put it, from my point of view, we moved a step or two closer to God. A few months ago, a friend sent a devotion by the Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr, whom I love. It reminded me of that meeting. Rohr wrote, we must avoid the temptation to become our own defended camp. Rather than dig in and get entrenched in positions and ideas and ways of doing things weighed down with personal or theological baggage, he said we have to remain movable like the tent of meeting that the Israelites constructed in the wilderness after they escaped enslavement, the one that they carried with them until they finally settled in the promised land. Now, I know you've come here tonight for the exciting conclusion of the book of Exodus. We've been making our way. Rhiannon took us all the way through the golden calf in chapter 32. And you've been waiting for me to pay off that cliffhanger and take you through chapters 33 to 40. I get it. If nothing else, you come to Gilead for our thorough chapter-by-chapter biblical exegesis. You've been watching this particular show all of Lent, and tonight is the series finale. We've had babies secreted away in bulrushes. We've had murdered enslavers, incendiary shrubs, an unusual number of gnats. The Red Sea drowned the bad guys. Manna fell from heaven. What did they save for the big finish? Eight chapters of Ikea assembly instructions. (laughs) Let me give you just a little taste. I know you wish we could read all eight chapters, but here's just a little bit. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains were the same size. Probably didn't need that last sentence, but okay, continuing. He joined five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he joined to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. Anyway, eight chapters of that. And I guess it's not really Ikea assembly instructions as much as a narrative of someone following Ikea assembly instructions, which is certainly worse, especially because the instructions themselves are in the book 10 chapters earlier. See if this part of chapter 26 rings a bell. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be joined to one another. This is why people hate the Bible by the way, God, one of the reasons. Eight chapters devoted to the assembly of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the tent of meeting that the people will carry with them through the wilderness, the middle of nowhere for the next 40 years. The house of God, important enough to write down the step-by-step story of them following the step-by-step instructions. In that devotional, Richard Rohr says, even though this tent is foldable, movable, disposable, it is still a meeting place for the holy, which is always on the move and and out in front of us. I love that, but I think we can amend it from, from even though to because. 
Because the tent is foldable, movable, disposable, it is a meeting place for the holy. Because the tent moves from place to place, the people don't get dug in and forget that God can show up anywhere at all. Because the packing list is pared down to the essentials, only the items labeled A through J and an Allen wrench, there's nothing to distract us from the presence of God. Because their scriptures contain these super boring instructions for putting together a tent, they know that the God they worship is a God on the move, a God who doesn't get bogged down in one place who won't get stuck in a single set of ideas. They found a God who intends to keep them nimble. On a backpacking trip in the Great Smoky Mountains, my friend Chris and I came across this woman who was hiking south along the Appalachian Trail. She had just started at the North Carolina border, but she was planning to make it all the way down to Georgia, hundreds of miles to the trailhead at Springer Mountain. She came into the shelter where we were set up for the night and offered us gorp from this giant plastic canister. Take as much as you want, she told us. I'm trying to get rid of it, it's too heavy. Actually, I left a whole other canister on the trail a few miles back. I couldn't carry it anymore. You can take it tomorrow if no one else gets to it. Like a lot of people who set out on the AT, she had started with way too much stuff or not the right stuff. And the demands of the trail were winnowing down her belongings to something manageable, something carryable. It meant that eventually she'd have to stop to resupply or rely on the people she met along the way. She wouldn't be as self-sufficient as she'd imagined but it was the only way she was gonna make it where she was going. The next day we found her canister filled to the brim with nuts and dried fruit. It was heavy, but we decided to take it. We only had another 15 miles or so to go. You can carry a lot if you're not going far, but if you need to cover any distance, you've got to travel lightly. The God who liberates us, who is always out ahead of us, beckoning us into the wilderness to follow that God, I have to travel lightly. I have to shed the things that hold me down, that keep me stuck in one place. I have to release that baggage and journey in haste, take only what I can carry. That's part of the way God liberates, gradually helping me release everything that is not absolutely essential. Rebecca and I like to tell new student pastors that most of church planting is just schlepping shit from one place to another. I don't know why we bother because they figure it out pretty quickly. We've got it down to a science now, like three tubs, two speakers, two music stands, a sign and a keyboard. If you pack it right, it can fit into one Honda Fit, but we have two just in case, really three with Rhiannon. You have to own a Honda Fit to be on staff or whatever amazing car Adam drives. But it took time to figure all of that out. For three months at the beginning, we'd load 10 of the heaviest cinder blocks ever made into my sister's Jeep every week. 
and then lug them to the front of the sanctuary and fill them with tea lights and then take them back out after worship. It took us too many weeks until we finally asked ourselves, do we need these? We painted a couple canvases as a congregation in, in worship one time <laughs> around the same time, some service about creativity. And then we brought them with us every week for like a couple of years. I guess we figured like we had taken the 10 minutes to make them, so we ought to. And I don't think we ever really decided to stop. We just didn't have student pastors last year and it was like one too many armloads. At some point we realized we didn't have to bring every chalice we owned for communion or a stack of children's books that no child ever read. We didn't have to haul 20 pint glasses to a service where we might sell one. And the working Christmas lights could stay in the bin but the broken ones could probably be retired. Like the six months we'd kept carrying them was enough to honor their service. We winnowed or got winnowed. And maybe it made us ready for this moment. Now, once a week, Adam, Rebecca and I have to move the keyboard and bench like 30 yards across the sanctuary and back. And it feels like a true pain in the ass. Maybe we've gotten soft or maybe we've just figured out how little it takes for God to show up. Just your faces just your voices telling stories, saying prayers. Sometimes just your name on the screen with no picture, silently listening on the other end, maybe. It takes so little, or maybe the point is something stronger than that. Not, not just that we can get away with less, but that the less we have, the easier it has been to notice, to feel, to recognize that presence that meets us here or wherever. Standing in the middle of nowhere with only what we can carry on our backs. Liberated from every cumbersome idea we've been handed and somehow wound up carrying with us for too long. Free from everything that held us back, everything that stood in the way that blocked our view of the one who has always been there, waiting for us to clear out the clutter, waiting to clear us out of the clutter. After that meeting, those non-anonymous agnostics and I were good. They let me be their minister. And I did some of my best work with them. They signed up for my Bible studies, like no matter how I would advertise them, I'd be like, this is a Bible study truly for people who are like super interested in going deep and following Jesus. And like the first comment would be, I don't really believe in God, but, and it was great. They kept things lively because they weren't afraid to ask questions. They weren't stuck in certainties. They weren't carrying as much theological baggage as I was, or they were carrying different theological baggage. And I grew more in my faith by being their pastor than by caring for the folks who were Christian like me. Because they pointed to the things that I was carrying. The ideas, 
the ways of doing things, the, the places I was dug in or weighed down. And they would just ask with genuine curiosity, do you need that? Like, what's it, what's it for? What's it doing for you? Is it essential? And I'd look at whatever it was, some belief I had held for all my life maybe, and realize suddenly, no. They helped liberate me from so much heavy furniture I was lugging through the wilderness. And every piece I set down brought me a little closer to the God who is always one step ahead, motioning me to catch up. <laughs>